The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Awesome. Well, this week is our last Sunday on the theme that we've had, uh, which is Encountering Jesus, the series that we began began a while ago, and I'm kind of concluding today. Uh, We've been journeying through kind of the book of John, looking at different individual people's encounters with Jesus, and how those encounters powerfully and radically transform their lives. Last week, we looked at the question of how do we today on this part of Christian history, um, encounter Jesus because Jesus is not with us in the flesh. He's not walking around us. How do, how do we encounter Jesus? And we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the one that continues to enable us to encounter Jesus because he's a person, because he's a mediator that brings us into the presence of Jesus, because he's a teacher that reminds us and instructs us of the things that Jesus taught. This week, I want to engage with the question of how do the people in our world encounter Jesus? How do they encounter Jesus? And I want to suggest to you that it's through the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us that people in our community, people um, all around us will encounter Jesus. So I guess today is the second part of our series, Encountering Jesus, and thinking about how God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to use you, use me, to actually enable people in our community, in our families, to encounter Jesus. And so I wanted to kind of take you through a little bit of our PCC kind of core beliefs and values. Some of you are new to our church and maybe you're not familiar with it. But our vision is this, to see our city and the nations transformed by the good news of Jesus. That's our vision. And it's on our website. It's in our newsletters. It's kind of everywhere. And we really believe that this is really the purpose that God has for us as a church for this season. Um, to see our local community, to see the city of Sydney, to see our, beyond that even our nation and the nations transformed by the good news of Jesus. But that sounds like a, a huge statement and a huge thing to say. So I guess breaking it down and putting it a different way to give everyone that we come into contact with, whether it's next door, whether it's in our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, wherever it might be, to give everyone the opportunity to encounter Jesus through us. To, to, with the, if we go on a holiday, that everyone we rub shoulders with along the way, that they'll somehow encounter Jesus through us. In our workplaces, in our neighborhood, in, an, in our city, as we go about our grocery shopping and go to the hairdresser and go to our doctors and, and do just ordinary things, as it were. We go to PNC meetings and, and do that kind of stuff that everyone we rub shoulders with has an opportunity to encounter Jesus. That's, that's really our vision. So how are we, because I really believe that, that God's purpose is, is this, that God's purpose and his desire and his heart is to take the glory of God, the glory of God that's re- reflected in the gospel through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the glory of God seen in the cross. I believe God's purpose is for that glory to be proclaimed to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Like the prophet said, so that the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's God's heart and that's God's purpose, that his glory might be seen everywhere and that people will see the wonder of Jesus. And so that's really the heart of God. And I want to be a church that's part of that mission, that's part of that plan, that's part of that purpose somehow in, in declaring God's glory to the, to the ends of the earth. And so our mission statement 
is, is this statement here. It's that PCC, by God's grace, that we exist to follow Christ, to love His church, and to serve our city. To, 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 to take seriously our commitment to be disciples of Jesus. Uh, my heart is that as a church, we would be an authentic community of Jesus followers and that we would live in genuine relationships with one another and that we would have a heart that extends beyond ourselves to actually invest in, to serve, to be a blessing to others. So I guess breaking this down, uh, as a church, I would love for us to be a community that connects with God, that we're connecting with God through Jesus, that we're connecting with God through authentic community, where we're, 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 we're a safe community that, that is real and transparent and authentic with our struggles and our sins and our doubts. In our connect groups, we have opportunities to just take seriously what Jesus says in his word, what God says in his word, and think about how we're going to live that out. I want to be a church where we, we, we don't pretend and we're not Sunday Christians and we put on our happy, shiny smiles on Sunday and then the rest of the week we're going through all kinds of things that nobody knows about, that we're living this double life. That's not my desire, that we want to be followers of Christ who are connecting with God and we're authentic, genuine followers of Jesus. And I want to be a, a community that is growing in love, that we are extending our circle of love, that we're stepping out of our comfort zone, that we're not just staying with our, our group of familiar friends or, or our cultural group or our age group or whatever it is, but that we're extending ourselves beyond that to connect with people who are very different to us. And that's why we believe in the value of connect group because one of our passions and our heart is to make sure that everybody in our church is known by somebody, that we're connected that there's not people in the, on the fringes who feel outside of this imaginary circle of love somehow. But that we're extending that circle all the time and including people. And, and if you're not part of a connect group, I encourage you, talk to Lewis and, and get connected. But it's not just being in a connect group because that connect group can become the next circle that you don't extend beyond. But on a Sunday that you're actually crossing over the awning to the other side and talking to someone that you've never spoken to before. And church, if you look around us, we're growing all the time. There's new people and we want to keep extending the hand of friendship to them and getting to know them and welcoming them into our community. And if you're the new person and you've been here a little while, you're not a new person anymore. So begin to kind of go, you know what, I'm a part of this community, I'm a part of this church, and I'm going to be a vehicle of God's purpose here and extend that hand of friendship to the newer person that's coming into our church. That we're connecting with each other, that we're growing in love, that we're serving and proclaiming. Serving and proclaiming. And this is that third element. We want to serve our city. We want to be a church where everybody is contributing. We want to be a church where there are no spectators. We want to be a church where there are no pew warmers. Because uh, I don't believe that's the biblical model. I believe, seriously, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 says that every part has a function. And the body is somehow deficient when the parts don't play their role. So if you're part of this community and you think you're just here to come on a Sunday and just sit there and enjoy great worship and great teaching and then go away all on your own, I want to suggest to you that that is not the biblical model of church. We want to see us being a community that serves one another, that cares for one another, that serves our city, that's looking for ways that we can be a blessing to other people, that's constantly outward looking, outward looking, outward looking, and outward moving in generosity, in kindness, in compassion. 
that when we're aware of needs, that we don't just say, oh, somebody else will look after that. No, that we make it my problem, that we get involved. And on that, as a church, we have needs. I know we make it look like we're amazing and that we do everything and everything is all done for you, but I want to kind of peel back the curtain and go, no, there are plenty of gaps in what we're doing. So if you've been coming to our church for more than three months and you haven't done starting point yet, please do that. That's the first step. We want everyone who's saying, this is my community, this is my church, to do starting point before they get involved in serving. But if you've done that, then please come and see Dash or come and see me because we've got needs in our hospitality team. And on that, if you're able to stay back and you're interested in hospitality or you just want to help out, stick around. It's half an hour, I think the meeting will go for from 11 to 11.30 and find out how you can be involved. Our Sunday team, so the people that hand out communion and, and do the offering and come and set up the chairs and do the, 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 the cards in the back of the chairs and, and do all of that practical stuff that is all done when you come in. We need help with people to do that. We need help with ushers, you know, other teams, food care. We need volunteers on a Friday morning to come and help if you're free. There's plenty of opportunities for you to get involved. And we want to say to you, if you can help, we need your help. Financially, if you've been coming to our church and you haven't been contributing, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. We have needs that we would love for you to contribute towards. Our missions team are busting to do more things, but we just are limited by finances. We, we would love to invest more into the kingdom of God. We would love to see food care kind of thriving and flourishing, but they're struggling because of finances. You know, our general church, our building project, there's so many opportunities for you to give. And if you're not giving and giving regularly and sacrificially, I want you to prayerfully consider how God might be calling you to be involved in his kingdom work here. Contributing. Now, the moment I say things like that, you can hear how challenging this is to be the church, isn't it? Because who, who, which of us finds it easy to give up our time, our money, our comfort, our convenience for somebody else. It's not easy. Which of us would feel confident in having a conversation with a non-Christian person about Jesus? It's difficult. Which of us would feel comfortable sitting with a group of people and airing our dirty laundry, as it were, and confessing our sin? And, and, and acknowledging our need for the grace of Jesus and, and for his forgiveness. None of us, I would say. Because this is hard, difficult, challenging stuff. Because it goes against the very flesh and our sinfulness and our selfishness and our pride. The gospel kind of cuts away at the very deepest core of our identity and our being and wants to transform it. And that's not easy. But that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To take him and his word seriously. Now, lest we kind of get too discouraged, I want to encourage you that I'm sure the early disciples would have felt something of the overwhelming kind of challenge that you might be feeling this morning when Jesus said this, for instance, in John 14. Last week, we looked at the upper room, part of the upper room discourse, and this was one of the statements that Jesus made. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, think about that for a minute. 
Just think about that for a minute. Here's this bunch of disciples. They've seen Jesus do some pretty spectacular things. And Jesus is saying they're going to do greater things. If that was me, I'm like, whoa, really? Seriously? Now let's understand what Jesus is not saying here. Often this verse is misunderstood as being more dramatic miracles than Jesus did. I don't know how you can top walking on water. Or, you know, feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I I don't know how you can top that. I know people have raised people from the dead and kind of healed, done amazing healings and stuff like that. But some of the things Jesus did, let's be honest. I don't, and I, I looked up a few different commentaries, and none of them believe that that's what Jesus was saying here. Uh, one commentator, Beasley Murray, he said this What are these greater things? And he was kind of engaging with this, and he said, What they're not. The greater works here mentioned are not more miraculous miracles than the miracles of Jesus. I love the way he put that. They're not more miraculous miracles than Jesus. So what did Jesus mean here? The essence of what Jesus was trying to get at, we can kind of pick up from verse 10. Verse 10 if you want, sorry, I didn't even ask you to turn in your Bibles. John 14, verses 10 and 11. Kind of Jesus is unpacking this a little bit. He's saying, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me and who is doing His work. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus is, in this verse 10 and 11, He's talking about the words that He's been saying and the works that He's been doing. And then in verse 12, He says, but you will do more than this. So in what sense is Jesus talking about? Well, Remember, Jesus hasn't died yet, and he hasn't resurrected yet. Something significant happens on the other side of the cross. So part of what Jesus means here is that you will be able to do things in a way that will be radically different on the other side of the cross because you will be proclaiming the power and the reality and the hope of the resurrection. It's greater in that sense. It's also greater in the sense that there's only one of me and I'm walking around just this geographic area, but there's 12 of you at least, but more than that. And as you begin to continue my words and continue my works, it will be greater than what I've accomplished. Just so that we understand what we mean here, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Jesus never did that. First sermon, that's pretty impressive. 3,000 people. And the book of Acts, we see the rapid expansion of the church and the rapid spread of the gospel beyond Jerusalem. That's what Jesus was talking about. That they would continue the works and the words of Jesus in a much greater scope. And we see that. So in John 15, we looked at it last week, where Jesus was saying that they would testify about me, verse 26. That they would declare Jesus, declare the, the life and the power and the authority of Jesus. They were to continue the words and the works of Jesus. And in Acts, Luke picks this up and he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that I wrote to you about the works that Jesus began, the words that Jesus began to do with the implication that now the church, the apostles, are going to continue the words and the works of Jesus and take it to the ends of the earth. So what is Jesus saying here? Basically, Jesus is saying that these disciples on the other side of the resurrection, their mission, their greater thing that they're going to be doing is live lives that are so transformed by the truth of the resurrection and the power of the gospel that everywhere they went, they would be declaring, Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is alive. And it wouldn't just be their words. It would be the works that they were doing. Their own transformed lives. Their own willingness to sacrifice, to lay down their lives. Because they were convinced that it's true because they'd encountered the risen Christ. Jesus is alive. Big job. Tall order. And Jesus tells them they're going to be persecuted. People will rejoice when they put them to death. And we see in the book of Acts that that's unfolding. How are these scared, confused? You know, we looked last week how these disciples were still so unclear of the stuff that Jesus was saying. They had no idea. They were clueless when Jesus is talking. They're asking questions. And Jesus says, don't you guys know me? Really? How is this group? going to take this message of Jesus' resurrection and and continue the words and the works of Jesus to the ends of the earth when they've got no idea. Well, Jesus again makes a promise to them. And in the context of John 14 to 16, it is the Holy Spirit and it is his work that he was going to do in them and through them. And I love the way Jesus says it in Luke. He says this, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and the third day, on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. There's the greater things. There's that missional challenge beginning at Jerusalem. Here's the personal challenge to the disciples. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been, I love this, clothed with power from on high. That's how. That's how. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his mission to thrust these disciples from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He said the same thing. He says, wait. Just wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait until you've received the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses. Because you will be given power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 2, which is where we're going to go to, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we see how this unfolded in the lives of these disciples. We know last week was Pentecost Sunday, and we talked a bit about that. And we see the fulfillment of Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. And we see this incredible outpouring of God's Spirit and the power of God coming on these disciples and them being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to kind of jump to the end of this chapter and see how different this community was and see what the Holy Spirit had done in their hearts and in their lives and say, God, that's the kind of community we want to be. Will you do it again? Will you do it among us? Now, I know people always say we need to go back to the book of Acts. I'm not very quick to say that because there's some crazy stuff that happened in the book of Acts that I'm thinking, I don't know if we really want. Ananias, Sapphira dropping dead. I mean, oh, hold on a second. You know, there's some widows that are going for it over some food. I don't know if I want that kind of church issue to deal with. So there's stuff there, persecution, people being stoned. And, you know, I'm not in a hurry to go back there. But there's stuff here that the Holy Spirit does among them that I say, God, do it again. We need that. We want that. That that is how we're going to fulfill this mission that you've given us. To to give people out there an opportunity to encounter Jesus. It's going to be through us. And for that to happen, we need to be different. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed by your spirit. So have a look at what it says in verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a a great passage. What a great summary of this community of faith. What a great difference from the upper room. What an incredible transformation of these men and these women who were there to hear Jesus say, you're going to do greater things than me, but you're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. But now the Spirit has come. Everything is different. They've been clothed with power and their community is different. And I'm just going to run through 10 things really quickly about what was different in this community. And I hope that we can get just a heart and a glimpse of saying, God, that's what we want. God, do it again. God, we want to impact our city. And that's only going to happen if we are a transformed community like these people were. Number one, empowered to witness. And Jesus mentioned that in Luke 24 and Acts 1.8. You see Peter get up and he preaches after the Holy Spirit has come on him. And over and over again, you see that pattern. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's an empowering to declare the gospel, to declare the truth of, of Jesus. And it's powerful. We see enabled to speak in tongues, Acts 2.4, Acts 10, uh, Acts 19 is another reference that somehow when the Spirit of God comes on people, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's a supernatural ability to speak in tongues. And we see this consistently three times in the book of Acts it happens. And so again, we want to believe for that. We want to believe for that expression. We want to believe that the Holy Spirit still does and wants to do that among us today. Boldness. There's boldness to witness. Again, Peter is the guy that not not so long ago was denying Jesus to a servant girl. And here he is. We see verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. That's incredible. And then we see in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 when Peter is stepping out and the, the authorities and the leaders come against him and they, and they put them in jail and they're putting them you know, they're on trial. Peter has such boldness and confidence when he's preaching the gospel, when he's giving the reason for his commitment to honor Christ and to honor God and not the religious leaders. When not so long ago he was so afraid. There's a courage and a boldness there. Supernatural gifts. We see that. Peter talks about it. When the Holy Spirit comes, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, verse 17. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit, verse 18, in those days, and they will prophesy. And again, as the book of Acts unfolds, we see words of knowledge and words of discernment operating. And that these disciples have supernatural insight and are speaking supernatural things. And 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, uh, 12 particularly, Paul reminds the church in Corinth that the Holy Spirit wants to give gifts. That's part of his role and his ministry in churches. And to give verbal gifts of prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, words of discernment. And we see that happening, supernatural gifts. Personal commitment, I love this one. 42, they devoted themselves 
They devoted themselves to Christian practices, to the apostles' teaching. That's they devoted themselves to reading the Bible, to reading the Old Testament scriptures, to listening to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to community. Nobody had to kind of put them on a roster to get together. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devote, it, was, it, it was such a difference of the Holy Spirit's work in their heart that they had made a personal commitment and say, you know what? I'm going to do this from my heart. They devoted themselves. There was a personal commitment. There was miraculous signs. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And again, the book of Acts, as it continues in Acts chapter 3, the, the healing of the, the crippled man at the gate, the lame beggar. Acts chapter 5, it says that um, th- th- there were so many people coming that they wanted just to, they put them on the side of the street so that Peter's shadow would just fall on them. And then as it continues and, and the Holy Spirit begins to work through Paul, we see similar supernatural, miraculous signs and wonders. Unity. Unity. Listen to what it says. All the believers, verse 44, were together. Were together and had everything in common. Do you know what a huge miracle that is? 3,000 people have just gotten saved, right? And they're Jews from all over the Roman world with all their cultural baggage. And they've just come together and, and become this new community. And it can say there that they were together. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. No human institution, no human effort can ever achieve that. And look around this church. That's what we're seeing. People from all countries, all nations, all cultures, all backgrounds, all ages, worshiping Jesus together. That's why Paul can say in Ephesians 4, keep the unity of the Spirit. Because it's not natural. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see right here, the Holy Spirit beginning to do that, bringing people from all over the world, coming together in Jesus. Mutual care and generosity. They saw property, verse 45, and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What a wonderful picture of the church. What a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that extends us beyond ourselves of this mutual care and generous giving where people were willing to, again, sacrifice and to give up things that were theirs that they had in order to bless someone else and because they heard about a need and they realized that somebody else lacked something. And again, we're told a similar thing as the book of Acts unfolds in the, in the, in the next summary statement that Luke makes. Uh, he goes into even more detail, talking about how people would sell their stuff at the end of chapter 4 and bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. They would sell their fields and their buildings buildings uh, and their homes so that they could care for one another and people had everything in common now again we're not talking about communism here we're not talking about let's be a christian commune because again some people have read those scriptures and wanted to go there but we're talking about this heart of mutual care and generosity where we realize that the things that god has given us are not just for us to enjoy they're to be a blessing to others for us to be stewards of what god has entrusted us to care for those who have needs in our community. Number nine, a desire for community. I love this. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Now again, please hear me. I'm not saying, oh, we need to do this. Meet together every day. No, what I love is that the Holy Spirit has so transformed these people that they enjoyed each other, that they longed to be together. 
that they enjoyed meeting together. And it was often every day they got together because they actually liked spending time together as a community. There's a desire there. There's a delight there. There's an an appreciation for one another. Joyful hospitality. Joyful hospitality. They broke bread, verse 46, in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's amazing. Most people see their homes as their castle, as the no-go zone. And once they're in their homes, they raise the drawbridge and nobody else comes in. But the Holy Spirit had so transformed this community that they were opening up their lives and they were opening up their homes and joyfully receiving one another, eating together, fellowshipping together, doing life and doing community together. Is it any wonder then that Luke tells us that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord was adding to their number? Is it any wonder that others didn't want to join this community? Is it any wonder that they had favor with everyone? Because this is incredible. And it's the work of the Spirit in their hearts and lives. It's after they've been clothed with power and filled with the Spirit that they were this transformed community, that others can encounter Jesus and the reality and the truth that Jesus is alive through this community. So application, two things, very, very simple. Now, the first one, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, friends, this is not a one-off deal. You know, if you went for prayer one time and, and, you know, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit and you spoke in tongues and you can kind of remember the day and the time and you knew what you were wearing and you're like, yeah, that was great, got the badge, ticked that box, I'm good now, then you're missing the point. Because even in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came on this same group of people over and over and over and over again. And in Ephesians 5, I think it is, Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off deal. And if you were baptized in the Holy Spirit and you did speak in tongues and, you know, that was like a long time ago and it's not really been a part of your life, I want to encourage you, fan it into flame, foster it, keep doing it because Paul says it edifies you, it builds you up, it does something in you as you pray to God in this heavenly language. It's not a one-off deal. Keeps, and if, you, if you've been seeking it and you haven't really got it, keep seeking it. Don't give up. Don't, out of frustration, go, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. No, just keep pressing into God and saying, God, will you do it? Will you do it for me? I had it once, but it hasn't happened again. God, I want more of you, more of your Holy Spirit. I want to be clothed in power. I want to be this kind of transformed Jesus follower. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a story told about a doctor called Paul Brand. He was in India and he was teaching at a medical school. And he was preaching on the passage, you know, let your light so shine before all people that they would see your good works and glorify God. And in front of him on the lectern was an, an oil lamp which had a cotton wick in a shallow bowl full of oil. And as he kept preaching, the oil ran out and the, you know, the, the wick then kind of burned up and started smoking everywhere. And he immediately used that as an example and an illustration. And he said, look, If we're trying to do this, if we're trying to shine the glory of God in our own strength, then we're going to be like this lamp. We're going to run out of oil and we're going to end up burning the wick and end up being a big stink in everybody's nose. But see, he said, if that wick is saturated in oil and the oil never runs out, that wick will keep burning indefinitely. And it won't be a stench. It will be a glorious light. It's not a one-off deal, friend. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Number two, be available for the Holy Spirit to work through you. God wants to do his kingdom work through you, but you need to be available. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story as the band jumps up. And I don't mean to be sacrilegious or disrespectful. And I hope you forgive me if you feel that it is. This is a legend about what happened when Jesus returns to heaven. So he's just been ascended. And as he enters into heaven, all the angels, Gabriel kind of leads all the angels and they come around Jesus and they're welcoming him back. And so Jesus is there and he's got this opportunity to tell some scar stories. You know, it's like, whoa, look at this, you know, and he's there. And, and Gabriel's like, wow, Jesus, that must have really, really hurt. That must have been really, really painful and difficult for you. And Jesus is like, yeah, it was. And Gabriel was like, but that's awesome. You know, like what you've done has radically changed everything. And now people have the hope of, of being with God. God forever and, and, and living in heaven with us. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's true. And then Gabriel was like, so, so everyone knows now, right? Everyone knows how much you love them and, and what you've done for them and what you've achieved in the cross. And Jesus was like, no, no, they don't. There's a handful of people, Peter, James, John, and a few of their friends and a few of my friends, they know. And Gabriel's like, what's going on? And Gabriel said, like, all, right, all right, boys, let's get the band together. We're going to go down and we're going to tell everyone. You know, we're going to kind of do a big announcement in the sky. Like, Jesus, we did that for your first coming. You know, the birth. Did you like that? Do you like the big show that we put on? The, you know, shepherds were a bit freaked out. But, you know, like, that was awesome, right? Let's, we'll just go down and we'll just do something similar. We'll just rock up and tell everyone Jesus has died to save you. You can have eternal life in him. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's cool. And Gabriel's a bit hurt. He goes, well, didn't you like it? Didn't you like the announcement that we made? Or maybe, okay, we'll do something smaller scale. Like I turned up to Mary, freaked her out a little bit, but, you know, kind of got the message across. We'll do something small scale. And Jesus is like, no, no. I've entrusted this task to Peter, James, John, my friends, and they're going to do this. And Gabriel's now really concerned. But, but, But what if they botch it up? What if they get it wrong? What if they get afraid? And what if, what if they, they, they don't do it? And what if the people that they, they tell don't tell the next person? And what's your plan B? And Jesus said, I don't have a plan B. That's it. That's it. But I've sent the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And friends, that small group of people proclaim the gospel And those people proclaimed the gospel. And those people proclaimed the gospel. And you and I heard the gospel. Now, my question is, will we be available for God to use us in our time, in our generation, to proclaim the glory of Christ in our city, in the nations of the world, to each other? Will we commit to being this kind of community that's spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, transformed, Gifted, generous, hospitable, self-committed, authentic followers of Jesus who will change the world through giving everyone you and I encounter the opportunity to encounter the risen Christ. Why don't you stand with me? And I want to invite you. And again, I'm not going to draw this out because I've spoken longer than I was supposed to. I got a bit too excited there. If you'd like prayer, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time or the 101st time, 
But if you're saying, God, I, I want to be a part of this community. I want to be a genuine follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit and living a transformed life so that everyone I encounter will have the opportunity to encounter Jesus. Then I want you to come and our elders are going to come and we're going to pray for you. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to believe that God is going to fill you with His presence and His power and He's supernaturally enabling to proclaim the good news to the ends of the earth. Thanks, guys. you begin to lift up your hands, open your heart to the Holy Spirit, invite Him, invite Him to come, to fill you, make yourself available, to be used by Him. Thank you, Jesus. Oh God, will you move? Holy Spirit, will you move? Fill us afresh, oh God. Jesus. Thank you, Lord.